For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three stakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Fellow Falcoholics, what is up? Welcome to the Falcons vs. Ravens Week 16 postgame show here on the Falcoholic Live. A uh, couple days late, but... You know, no one really wanted to record or listen to anything about this game on Christmas Eve. We have better things to be doing with our time, but uh, we are here now to break this game down. I'm Kevin. I have Falcoholic Kevin joined by my co-host today. He is the newest addition to the Falcoholic, Jordan Watkins at Big 75. Fella, Jordan, how we doing? You know what? We're getting there. We're getting there. That was a uh, that was a tough loss to deal with, but of course, since it's the holiday season, get to hang around some loved ones, don't have to work that much in the work that I did have to do. It was working a Warriors uh, Christmas game, so that's not too bad. Yeah, not bad at all. Uh, that doesn't sound. I, I didn't. I don't know how the game went. You know, I I wasn't watching, but uh, hopefully more fun than the Falcons game uh, went. Well, it was it was great. It's one of those. So I, the the best way I could look at it is obviously one of the, well not one of our biggest rivals. Talking about the Falcons are the Saints, and one thing Saints love to do well more so their fans than the team itself. They love to talk so. Whenever you can beat a team that loves to talk a lot, it feels pretty good. And that's what the Warriors did last night. They played the Grizzlies. You know, they've, they've had a lot to say ever since that Warriors-Grizzlies playoff season. I mean, playoff series last year. So mm-hmm. Warriors put it on them. And again, that's with no Steph and no Andrew Wiggins, too. So that that, that was pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds great. And, you know, I was just thinking, like, I think we had you on for your first Falcoholic Live like a couple of days ago. And you just had to get right. back on as soon as possible. And so that, you know, that's a good sign. Uh <laughs> had to get had to just you know jonesing for the show so quickly i love that so i uh, appreciate you coming on and making time on a non-traditional recording day for me on a monday but uh you know nobody wanted to record on christmas or christmas eve and, and i don't blame them i certainly didn't want to either so uh next best time for sure. good good time to do it now we've had some time to think about the game too i mean i literally just got a chance to watch it finally but um i know you've had a couple days now to think about it so we'll break it down it was fr- it was a frustrating watch you know for me uh coming off watching it just now um some officiating you know stuff and and that's never fun um but the falcons really just missed a ton of opportunities i mean they had a lot of chances to win this game um or at yes. least score more points uh you know this is once again a, a one score loss you know 9 to 17 Falcons only actually managed the nine points, but like they were much closer to contending in this game than the score might suggest. And, you know, the Falcons actually outgained the Ravens in terms of total yardage uh, as well. I think time of possession also. So a frustrating game. I thought the defense again, like it wasn't pretty. I don't think anything this defense does is ever pretty at this point, but they held them 17 points. The Falcons had plenty of opportunities in the fourth corner to go down and tie this up. So, um, don't want to criticize the defense too much because I feel like it's like kicking somebody when they're down. It's like, okay, we know we've spent no money on you defense and, and you, there are no expectations for you to be good. But, um, you know, they're an easy scapegoat. So I, I, I don't want to, you know, drag them too much, but maybe maybe a few opportune moments during the show to do that. Really? Um, but, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll let you go first, Jordan. You know, there's a lot to get to in this. Desmond Ritter's second start, obviously, I think was encouraging, even though it didn't translate to a bunch of points. Um, and the offense some good players there, some frustrating things as well. Where where would you like to go first with this one? Uh, I mean, we can hit all three phases. I thought, I mean, again, you started off with uh, Desmond Ritter. I thought this was absolutely a step forward 
um, from his start last week in New Orleans uh, for a lot of reasons. You know, one, I thought that you saw him step up in the pocket and, and really drive some balls down the field, which is always great to see. I think that you saw that th- this connection that he has, the, the chemistry that he has with Drake London, it's real. It's it's very real and it's something to build on. I mean, there are certain throws where you know, I think Drake London made a couple of throws in traffic or between two guys. And it's like, why are you throwing that? But that's the trust that they have in each other. And then that's the chemistry and the rapport that they have with each other. That's a big thing. And I'm not saying that they're on this level now, but it kind of reminds me very faintly of, you know, even there are certain throws that I think Matt Ryan made to Julio Jones. We're like, why did you make that throw? Oh, it's because it's Julio Jones and you trust him. That's why. Um, and I'm only excited with seeing how they bond together with, well, once Cal Pitts is in this, or maybe you have another receiving threat out there because I mean, ever since I can't, I'm not blaming this on Desmond Ritter. I just know ever since he's taken over, where has Alameda Zakia's gone? He was such a big, you know, third down critical situation uh, weapon for Marcus Mariota in the last two weeks. We haven't seen much of them. So, you know, you put somebody else out there on the field with those two. And, and I mean, I'm really interested in see, to see how that happened. I mean, for example, I guess the fact that we played the Ravens, was it's pretty comical in my mind because when I saw uh so I think Sammy Watkins was on the Packers and got put on waivers and one of my first thoughts was well we need somebody out there to catch passes outside of Drake London might as well take a look at him and he had a couple of big plays against us uh on on Sunday so I, I really would be interested to see just when he has that comfortability with some other weapons and other things around them how that all looks I still would love him to get the throw the ball away sooner. A couple plays in this game, he took some hits. I didn't think he needed to take. Yeah. But I mean, even on the fourth down, when he threw it to Drake, and I know Drake fumbled. I'll I'll have thoughts on that later. But you saw like he looks around his. You saw how he went through his progressions and then went back to who I think probably was option number one. That's impressive, especially for your second start. The fact that you have the comfortability to. Do that, look around, check one, nope, not there. Check two, not there. Three, no, let's go back to one. Boom, it's there. That's very impressive to see from a rookie in their second start and not the greatest uh, situation. So there's a lot there to grow from um, with Desmond Ritter. Tyler Algier, he's the real deal. Uh, I, I mean, I know that I don't, I feel like I don't need to explain that to people, but I just want to go ahead and put it out there. Tyler Algier is the real deal. Um, defensively, it's like you said, I mean, there's, we could nitpick all we want. I really could too. I'm a defensive guy, as you know, but at the end of the day, if you look up on a scoreboard in an NFL game and you hold a team to 17 points, there's really not that much I can say about you. There just isn't. Uh, I also think that at times that the offense puts the defense in bad positions because they go either three and out. Sometimes it was four and out this game. And we know the lack of depth that the Falcons have especially up front, um, and especially once, you know, Marlon Davidson didn't work out. Uh, TQ, he's out for the year, and uh, Anthony Rush was put on waivers, so they're really limited up front. And I think the thing is, sometimes the best way you can help out your defense is offense having long established drives throughout the game. And that didn't really happen, so that really put that defense behind the eight ball as limited as it already is. So that was uh, that was tough for them to deal with. But, um, you know, I think like with your tweet earlier, definitely a lot of things to build on, though. Yeah, I think um, I agree with what you said. Like it Ritter certainly looked more comfortable and that's important to see, even if it didn't translate to a bunch of touchdowns. I mean, I think there were opportunities for touchdowns that just were barely stopped, you know, and, and some ticky tack calls. Like I think that Patterson touchdown that was called back, that was pretty, pretty weak yeah. and um. I think I think Ritter threw the ball well. I mean, he started out pretty shaky, and I think that made a lot of people nervous. Um, but I tried to tell people, like, he did this in college, too. Like, a lot of times his first drive be a little shaky, um, and then he would finish really strong. And I think he did that again uh, in this game. You know, he did the, the same thing against the Saints. Unfortunately, didn't really get to see how it would end. But um, I think it was it, there were signs of growth. I, I think that I really, I really do enjoy his 
willingness to just chuck it down there to Drake London because he's down there somewhere. And that, <laughs> you know, and, and Mariota would do that too, but it just was like all, it wasn't Drake London. It was like Alameda Zacchaeus was sort of his guy and that's fine. Right. Um, and that, that did work, but it's like, I'd probably rather just chuck it up to Drake London or Kyle Pitts. Like I'd rather those be your guys than Zacchaeus. No offense to Zacchaeus, but it's also, and you mentioned, you know, the chemistry is not there with the other receivers like it was for Mariota. And maybe part of that is Mariota had, you know, all season to build that chemistry yeah. Drake London play with the scout team he's not really getting a chance to throw to these guys um which is even more impressive considering I guarantee you Drake London was never taking scout team snaps so um that's just a natural connection between those two and it reminds me of uh Ritter and Alec Pierce who's now you know a big, mm-hmm. big threat for and the in Colts the, in Indianapolis yeah. yeah so um I'm glad that the Falcons got Ritter a receiver that he they knew he would probably be very comfortable with Alec Pierce a very similar style of receiver to Drake London um and you know I I I think Ritter's propensity to target guys like that is good is probably a, a positive direction for this offense versus Mariota um because I think Mariota liked to target guys that that were able to break open quickly and, and have a lot of space and I think Ritter wants to rip it downfield um, and really go to his guys. And I think when Kyle, if Kyle Pitts was playing, we'd probably see a lot more Pitts targets as well because Ritter, his, his willingness to throw into the tight windows, I think has been one of the biggest differences between him and Mariota to take those, those shots. Um, and part of that's arm strength. I think it's pretty obvious that Ritter's arm is, is stronger um, and yeah. he can, he can rip the ball in there better than Mariota could. Um, the accuracy hasn't been, night and day better than Mariota, but it's certainly not any worse. Um, and the one, the one area where he, he really needs to work is his rushing. You can just tell he's not really that comfortable as a runner. Um, he's not used to the NFL speed. I think in college he was effective as a runner, but it wasn't a high volume thing for him. And I think you can tell it's like, he's got to adjust to the NFL defense's speed because in college, he might've had that extra tick to decide before he, he started to run. And, and because he was so athletic, he could just, beat guys by doing that in the NFL you have to decide sooner you have to make those decisions much faster because if those guys are two feet closer to you now it's a tackle for loss or sack whereas in college you could still rip off 10 15 yards no problem so that's that's stuff that comes with experience um and I'm not surprised by it considering again it wasn't really his big thing in college um but yeah moving on to the Algier point that you raised that that's the biggest takeaway and potentially the one of the most meaningful things for this offense over these last four games is we might be seeing like the, the, the torch being passed to Tyler Algier from quarter Patterson and, and Patterson sort of moving into more of a secondary role, maybe doing some more stuff in the passing game. We'll see. Um, but Algier absolutely does look legit. Like the re- yes. the real deal and better than I really expected that he, he has fully taken on the, the running back one role and looks capable of doing it. And there's not really, he doesn't have that dynamic speed. That's really the only thing, though. Like, his contact balance is special. Um, and he's fine. a great receiver. Like, he didn't really have a chance to do that a lot at BYU, but it's clear. Like, he has great hands, great feel for, you know, getting into those lanes and, and, and you know, getting behind his blockers and just shrugging off contact after he catches a pass. Like, he's he's a three-down back. Like, and, and that was, I think, something that I didn't want to assume he could be. And there was no reason to think that he couldn't, but also... That's been way better than expected. And then, of course, he's doing he's doing what he did at BYU, but against a much higher level of competition. And that is really mm-hmm. the only question I think people had about his game, and that's why he fell to the this part of the draft, is that he wasn't a special athlete, and everyone's wondering, well, you're beating up on all the teams BYU's playing. Can you do that against you know, NFL-caliber opponents? And it seems like the answer is clearly yes at this point. I'll, I'll say this, uh, because... Obviously, I didn't have a big time NFL career. I I think I spent three days in the NFL and that was for Ricky Minicamp with the Falcons. But if you're strong and you're a good tackler on one level, you're probably good one on the other. And I think that to and and I know like I'm not saying that it's just like apples to apples, but I'm saying at least on a basic standpoint. Um, so when I say that, think about some of the teams that Tyler Algier won against and think about like we talked about the performances that he had against them. If he can break tackles like that, because it wasn't like he was using his agility or speed or finesse moves to do it. He was just running through them. They, even if there are certain college uh, teams and defenses that aren't the best, 
they still got they still have a lot of strong dudes on those defenses. And the fact that he could break through them, it shows you that's his ability. That's what he can do. Because uh, I think that for the most part, as I understand running back play, the main things that separate what's going to be an NFL running back versus a college running back, can you pick up protections? Can you read certain blocks in the zone scheme or whatever scheme it may be to understand, hey, this is where this, this uh, hole is going to be open? Um, you know, it's certain things like that. It's not we see you able to break this tackle. We don't know if you'll be able to break it on here. It, you know, usually it doesn't come to that. So especially for Algier, he talked about it. He, he's not the high-end speed guy. But, again, I think that's fine. I'm not worried about him being a high-end speed guy. You think about some of the uh, best Falcons running backs that we've seen the last, what, maybe two decades? None of them were really high-end speed guys. Like Tevin Coleman, yeah, he was fast. But, again, he wasn't even really the dominant guy in that rushing right, attack. Right. It was Devontae Freeman. Michael Turner wasn't the high-end speed guy. As quick as Warwick Dunn was, he wasn't, by the time he got to Atlanta, you know, I'm not talking about when he was in Tampa Bay, he wasn't the high-end speed guy. I mean, TJ Duckett obviously wasn't, but they were fast enough and good enough with everything else that they had to make it work. And that is exactly what, um, that's exactly what Tyler Algier is. Yeah, it's, it's really like, and that's what I try to tell people when they watch the combine like oh this running back look at that 40 it's it's probably yeah. the least that's probably the least important thing for the running back because it's nice to be able to hit those home run sort of plays where you can take that carry and go 75 yards but Absolutely. that's not going to happen more than like five percent of your you're going to have very few opportunities to actually break that sort of play um it's nice when you can but more important is the down to down consistency and that ability to get five yards on average, as opposed to being able to get 75 yards, you know, once or twice. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, and that's, that's exactly what we're seeing with Algier. And it's really, he's, he's clearly a quick learner. You know, this is a guy walked on to college, played linebacker, and then finally got yep. to play running back and just hit the ground running in, in a very short period of time. And it's the same thing here in Atlanta where Algier Started off a little slow, you know, didn't have a tremendous amount of success in his early games. I think he, you know, his first few games where he played, he was averaging, you know, fairly low yards per per carry. Um, and then he just sort of turned it on right around, I don't know, week. It seems like he really turned a corner starting with that uh, that Chargers game where he, he had mm-hmm. almost 100 yards um, and just sort of never looked back from there and, and has been averaging, you know, generally well over five in most of the games since then. And um you have to like the receiving ability as well. That's just Absolutely. such an underrated part. And and I think the pass blocking has been pretty solid when he's been asked to do that as well. And that's definitely something that's a learning curve for guys that, that don't aren't asked to do a lot of it in college. And he wasn't because he was their bell cow back. He was their 20 plus rushing touchdowns. You don't like you need, if you're, if he's not running the ball, you want him off the field getting a breather. So, um, you know, I've, I've been really impressed with Algier. And I think that's one of the most meaningful developments over the, the last few games of the season is that running back is really, really not a need. Like, maybe you can't depend on Patterson to be as dynamic as he was last year anymore. Um, He does seem to have slowed down a bit, but he doesn't need to be when Tyler Algier can be your running back one now. And, like, the rest of this running back room, like, Caleb Huntley's going to miss some time with this Achilles, but, you know, we've seen that it's not the debilitating career-ending injury it used to be for running backs. We've now seen a number of guys come back successfully from it, including Deontay Foreman. Um, and I guess, uh, Travis Etienne, I believe as well was, in, was an Achilles injury. Maybe that was ACL, but, um, either way, it, it's, it's not as bad as it used to be. So I don't, I wouldn't be too concerned about Huntley not being able to recover from that. So you've got him and you've got Avery Williams, who is playing running back for the first time since high school. And I think looks perfectly fine as sort of a, a change of pace back. So there's really no room for even more running backs. And I only bring that up because Bijan Robinson's been such a popular pick for, to the Falcons, but I think every every pick that they rise up the draft order, it makes that less likely to happen, folks. So <laughs> there's just going to be too many other options. But yeah. Also, I, I see what you did. You said rise up to draft yeah, order. Yeah, there you go. I, um, I want I wanted to highlight one thing too. So I think it was a uh, Jason Gaines. I got the YouTube comments going on. He talked about work done, still having the big play speed, and he's right. I'm I'm saying like, obviously when we have work done here, he's a little bit older in his career, uh, but also. Did we not see Tyler Algier at least have some breakaway speed in, in the New Orleans game? Remember, I, this was one of my favorite plays of the game. The Falcons went 
uh, tackle heavy on one side. They, they overloaded the, the offensive line one side. Desmond Ritter is under center, and Tyler Algier is lined up over the guard. This was what this was my favorite play of the game because I love the creativity and just the construction behind it. And he made a big play happen out of it. So my whole thing is Tyler Algier still has big play speed. Now it's not like he's running a four three four two, right? And that that's the point that I'm trying to make out of that in terms of you know a lot of the big play backs that the Falcons have had over again the last two decades or so they don't have that Jer- like Jarius Norwood and Anton Smith are probably the two biggest home run hitting speed guys that we've had for a while and Tevin Coleman those are those are those three guys but they weren't they also were not the most consistent running backs the Falcons have had and they also weren't the uh most consistent big play backs the Falcons have had so that's my point in terms of the 40 time, it doesn't show everything and tell everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I, I just want to clear that. But he made like Jason made a great point. So I I, I just wanted to respond to that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, I that's the thing with Algier that we talked about. The 40 time, you look at that, it's a four six. It's like, oh, well, he's not that fast. But the 10 yard mm-hmm. split is a one five six, and that's 84th percentile. So that and that's what you see. That's that explosiveness, that short area quickness. Um, and he hit a 10 foot broad as well, which is pretty good for a running back. So it, that's very explosive, by the way. Yeah, People don't understand yeah, that. You know, when <laughs> when you look at like NFL combine numbers all day, I think people maybe get a little desensitized to how crazy like it's like, oh, four, six. Oh, that's slow. It's like, no, that's not slow at all. That's faster than I could run in high school. I could tell you that. Like, I think I ran a four, seven and I thought I was like the fastest dude in my high school, you know, or something. And no, no, like every NFL player is faster than me. So um, it in like context <laughs> He's very fast, but just in NFL running back context, he's just slightly above average. But that that ten yard split is really good at one five six, and I think that's what we're seeing is that explosive ability. And he's really made the most of this opportunity. He's a perfect fit for the scheme, um, and it really I think does free up another potential pick for the Falcons because I I think going into this season it would have been I think logical for people to say like well the. I, I wasn't expecting the Falcons to draft a running back in, like, the top 10, like we're hearing with some of this Bijan stuff. But day two, maybe, you know, if Patterson was showing more signs of slowing down and we didn't see what we needed to see from Tyler Algier. But instead, we've seen Algier take off and look like this is the guy that might be our starting running back going forward. Patterson still being, you know, perfectly capable of being the running back, too, and then having a stable of guys behind them with Caleb Huntley coming back from injury, hopefully, and Avery Williams one of the best returners in the NFL, you're not taking him off your roster. And he's shown like when he carries the ball, he's a perfectly fine change of pace back. So, um, Mm -hmm. I mean, if anything, you're talking about maybe adding like a day three pick as like a depth competition guy, or just looking for undrafted free agents. I mean, they've had a lot of success with that so far. So, um, I just feel like it, it, it's a big development. Algier playing this well, because it does sort of streamline your needs on offense. Um, more towards the offensive line side of things, in my opinion, than, than towards running back. And, and wide receiver, too, is something we'll have to discuss this offseason as being a need, um, because I, I think that it is. Um, but I understand people not wanting to spend more picks on wide receiver. And they, they don't need to spend another first, but I think we could get, I could be talked into like a, a late day two, early day three receiver, uh, probably. But And I have a guy in mind, too, who I won in that round, too. I, oh, really? I've, I've thought about this for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, lay it on me. All right. Well, I got to see because I know technically he's a junior. I forget how the whole you know COVID yeah. extra COVID gear works out with everybody, but I would ask people to look at um, Jacob Cowling from Arizona. So he started off his career in UTEP, and he is you know much smaller guys. I think five eleven, but that's the thing. I think the Falcons, if they're going to have all these big body guys, right? We talk about the size of Calpits, talk about the size of Drake London. What's one thing that's missing? They need that guy that's underneath and can make the slot corner miss and, and, and run those routes. And I think Jacob Cowling is that guy now. And I'm, I'm going to put this with context, right? So anyone that's watching, I'm a Pac-12 guy. Like I work for the Pac-12 conference. I watch a lot of Pac-12 football. That's why I know about Jacob Cowling. And I want to, I want to speak of him because I do think that as good as he is, he's only, he, he's shown in the Pac-12 for one year because he was at UTEP before that. But even when he got to Arizona, he had a great year. I, like I said, I watched a lot of tape on him. But I, so I think he'll be there late. Like you don't have to pick him in the top 
three, maybe even four rounds. Like, I, I don't know what the talk is around him if he does decide to come out or not. No, I don't know. But he's one guy that I had on my radar when I watched. I was like, wow, with all the big bodies these Fal- the Falcons have, they need someone that's a little shifty. Yeah. Because I think at first we we're hoping that Alameda could turn into that. But like we both talked about, you know, he's he's kind of been somewhat MIA as, after Ritter took over. Also, it seems like he's more of a long speed guy right. than he is a, a short distance speed guy. Yeah, well, the Falcons yeah. also have that too in Demir Bird, and we've seen what Demir Bird can do. So they don't have that short lateral quickness person. Uh, which I think they're very much so missing in this offense. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, I, I like a lot of their pieces. I just feel like they need more top end guys. I feel like their depth is pretty good. Like I think I like Zacchaeus as like a wide receiver three sort of guy. I think Demir Bird and Kaderil Hodge, those are perfectly good, you know, depth receivers that can fulfill some roles for you. They just need another like high end guy. Um, it doesn't even have to be like elite, like wide receiver one type of level of player, but just another sort of wide receiver two day two-ish sort of guy that can provide something and provide another threat that teams have to contend with because this team has the run game so that's going to help they have Kyle Pitts they have Drake London and that sort of two big weapons but what we're really seeing is like the teams that have that third weapon Mm -hmm. are the ones that really have been having a lot of success in in this NFL you know you look at the Eagles with their three receivers you look at the Bengals with their three receivers and you know the Eagles of course have Dallas Goddard as well at tight end so that seems to be the way this is going. And, you know, also with the Eagles have a great run game, that's sort of the blueprint maybe for this team of what you're trying to do there. Um, and I, I think we're not that far off from that. You know, I think obviously the biggest difference between the Falcons and the Eagles is the trenches <laughs> being a big issue for the Falcons, particularly on the defensive <laughs> side of the ball. So we got a long way to go there. But, um, yeah, speaking of the trenches, I thought this was another sort of struggle day for for Drew Dahlman, who I, I – think is maybe uh, making himself the, the biggest target on the offensive line in terms of guys that you're looking to upgrade. Um, Elijah Wilkinson, I think, had a, a better game than he did against the Saints. He's still sort of coming back from that injury. Um, but again, like I think Wilkinson has been good enough that you offer him a, a like a mid-level guard contract to be a potential option for you there. Um, mm-hmm. And it's really like, you know, you can't afford to pay your left guard big money because we know Chris Lindstrom's getting probably NFL record-setting guard money. And Caleb McGarry's in line. Yes, as he should. Uh, And Caleb McGarry's going to be in line for a big contract, too. So you need to go cheap at a few spots. And I think left guard is probably one that you have to do. And center, you know, I think that's one with the weakness of this free agent class that you're probably looking at in the draft. Again, (laughs) it feels like every year for like three years they've been drafting centers. But third time's the charm, right? So. (laughs) <laughs> well, I mean, here's the hard part with that. So I, I, I ultimately, ultimately believe that again, Caleb McGarry is having a very good year. Um, now let's, let's also keep in mind. I think that me personally, this is his one really good year yeah. that he's been having. So I would not be surprised if instead of extending him, sending him a new contract, he's going to be the franchise tag guy that, would not surprise me from the Falcons. Um, and again, I know that's what I think that's the average of what top 10 yeah. uh, paid players of that position. But again, I guess yeah. what the question is, well, would you rather give him a long-term contract based off one year or would you pay him a lot of money for one year? Right. Like that, that's the, that's kind of the conundrum that they're going to have at that position. Yeah. Um, I think in terms of at center, because obviously it's, it's Matt Hennessy and then also um, Drew Dahlman. And with with Hennessy, he came in before this new regime did. So there's already that question of, well, how comfortable do they feel with them? And think he, you know, he can get things done. I think with Drew Dahlman, I mean, again, look, I, the way I look at it is, is he the best center in the NFL? No, I'm not. I'm not going to be here to say that. But as much as we love to, you know, talk about the run game, talk about, um, how highly graded this offensive line is by PFF. You can't, you don't get there without a center. And I say that in terms of a lot of, a lot of different paths, whether it's just communication aspect, the knowledge aspect, obviously there's a physical play of it, you name it. Now what happened with that uh, fumbled snap between he and Ritter? I'm not sure. I I don't know who's at fault for that. Um, 
One thing I do know, and I was really happy about this, I was talking to one of my own sources. Yes, I have sources. Oh, man, and sources. Yeah. There we go. Hashtag sources. <laughs> uh, one thing that I've learned about um, Drew Dahlman is I think he's been in touch and in contact with Todd McClure. Now, the reason why I think that's a big deal is not just because obviously Todd McClure was a phenomenal center for the Falcons. They're somewhat similar in their play styles. And what I say about that is, you know, Drew Drew is not going to be the ultimate bruiser, imposing force in the middle of the nine. Excuse me, middle of the line. Tom McClure wasn't that either, but he found a way to make it work. So I think that obviously that if there's going to way that can happen, Tom McClure is going to help him out and and make that and make that work. Um, so I I don't know. I feel like to an extent Arthur Smith and company they're still going to ride with him because there are a lot of positives. Right. There are a lot of positives there with him in, in the middle of the line. Um, but we'll we'll have to see. We'll have to yeah. see. No, I mean I think I think that makes a lot of sense. They've clearly shown an enormous amount of faith in, in Drew Dahlman. Um this is only his first year actually starting. Yep. Um so like I, I wouldn't be surprised if they gave him another chance. Uh it's he's been okay. Like he hasn't been a giant liability. No one on this line has really been anything like that. It's just like when you're the weakest link, which it seems like he is, but with the left guard turnstile, it's really kind of hard to tell some weeks because it hasn't been mm-hmm. consistent. But, you know, it's always you're sort of a target for the team to invest something to at least bring in competition. And maybe that's all it will be. This is a deep center class in the draft. So maybe it's not the like second, oh, like the second round pick is the center and you're getting like the top guy in the class. Maybe it's like a late day two or early day three sort of center again that you're like, okay, we need to bring in more competition. We'll mm-hmm. see, but between him and Hennessy, they do have two guys that have you know fair amount of starting experience now, and maybe they just say we're going to let it ride and we'll take our chances in free agency in twenty twenty four when there maybe there's going to be a better class um, because that would be the easy fix. Like if there was an Alex Mack out there for them to go get, that would be the easy fix. You're like, okay, we can just get this slam dunk, you know, spend our premium money on on really getting a slam dunk veteran center that we know is going to be able to come in and instantly do this. Instead, there's really not much out there. I mean, like Ethan Pochick is, is a guy, um, but it, it, it's, it's not a great center free agency class. So they kind of either have to make do with what they have or go into the draft. And like, like we've said, like they've already spent quite a few resources on drafting centers. Do they really want to go back or do they want to give these guys a chance? And I wouldn't be surprised if you're right. And then Dalman does get a chance um, because they have a lot of other needs too. Like, that we're, I'm sure we're going to get to this offseason. And, and, you know, we're not throwing the defense under the bus, but the defensive line in particular, and I think oh. you could say safety and, and corner too, like they need reinforcements pretty much everywhere there. Um, and, you know, they got worn down by the Ravens in this one. They only gave up 17 points, which is, I mean, not bad. Like, the, yes, the Ravens are playing a backup quarterback and they don't have a lot of receivers, but they haven't needed receivers all year. They just sort of the tight ends and then they run the ball. And, um, I think they did an okay job. You know, I, if they, if look, if this defense holds anyone under 20 points, I consider that a win. Like for years now, it's like, that's all I'm asking. Just get under 20 points. And, you know, in a Give lot the of the games, yeah. Um, and I think that they've legitimately given the offense a chance in every single game. And that's really this, this team with Arthur Smith at the helm and the, and how they've invested their picks. This is an offense first team. The defense is just supposed to be here to like, like, yes, like, it would be great if they could win some games for this team, but ultimately, it's like the offense needs to be able to get the job done, and the defense just needs to slow down the opponent, and, you know, so far, they've been able to do that, and I think, you know, DPs deserve some credit for that. They've really cobbled this whole unit together with duct tape, and it hasn't been pretty ever. It's been extremely frustrating. Um, You know, there's cl- some clear weaknesses in terms of the, the secondary and uh, the mm-hmm. coverage and the pass rush and allowing big plays and all these things. But at the end of the day, what counts is how many points you allow. And they've been opportunistic with the turnovers. They've been, re- they've been really getting, I think better in the red zone and they've been able to make the plays when it counted to keep the game within a score. And I think pretty much every single game, except what maybe the, the Bengals game, um, mm-hmm. this team had an opportunity to win it at the end on offense or close to it. Um, and, and that's impressive that that's really all we're asking from this unit that has so little invested in it at this point. No, I, I agree. And I I think there's one thing looking back towards earlier in the season, Dean Pease told us 
he he told us about this unit because remember there was I think someone had asked him I forget what the exact question was but his answer was along the lines of it, it looked it, it made it infer that someone asked him if he was you know disappointed or not happy with how the defense was performing he's like no I'm not I'm absolutely not but again if you look at it sometimes it's like well the way they're playing why wouldn't you be that's not really good defensive football at right but again he's telling you with what we have here how hard they're playing things like that no i'm not uh because as me again like i said i'm a defensive guy there's a lot i'm disappointed (laughs) uh with the defense and 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 what i'm deep what i'm disappointed in it doesn't really have much to do with talent per se so i just felt like you know going back at that quote that he said, you know, at this point in the season now, it's like, all right, no, that's, that was pretty telling. It, it was pretty telling in my opinion. Yeah. And, and, you know, we're seeing, I think this was one of Troy Anderson's better games too. And he's getting a lot of opportunity, you know, um, and he's got a lot of room to grow. Um, he was always a guy that I was like, you know, I'm not sure if he's actually going to play much on defense this year, but put him on special teams in that case and, and see what he does. And, They've actually taken him. I think that he plays some special teams still, but they're mostly playing on on defense now. And um, it's I think it's getting there. It's getting closer. But I think for him, a whole off season, you know, in this program, really getting up to speed. And they're putting him right in the middle of the defense too. Like it, it's like they're they. It seems to me like they're really grooming him to be that middle linebacker, you know, future captain of the defense. And that means they've got a lot of trust in him mentally to be able to handle that. Um, and and look, this is a guy who came into Montana State, played like three or four positions in four years, yep. and, and then, you know, was like an all-conference player every single one. So the NFL is a different beast, and it does take time to to adjust. But I, I, I have total confidence in Troy Anderson, and I, I really like that pick. And um, I'm glad he's playing more now because I think it's, it's he needs the reps, right? I mean, there's not really any replacement for live reps. But, um, yeah, any other players that are starting to get more time now that you're impressed with? I know Timmy Horn was another guy that we're seeing a lot more of. Yeah, no, absolutely. But again, I think, you know, with Timmy Horn and he's he's done some good things with his uh, added reps. But again, like we talked about before, there's just no depth on the defensive line. He has to play. You know, you kind of have no choice with that. Uh, In terms of people that are getting more playing time, I think that. It's not a plus, it's more so of a minus that I'm concerned of. So we talked about Troy Anderson getting more playing time. Well, what does that say about Michael Walker? who, again, he was one of the higher round picks, I believe, for, for this regime. So, you know, I think when you look at some of the rookies, second-year guys that um, this this uh, draft, this the, the front office and Arthur Smith they've picked, there's really only a few of them where it's just like, really, like, this, is, this is a hit and miss. And I didn't think that Michael Walker was one of them, but the fact that they obviously feel comfortable enough of putting – Troy Anderson and over him on defense that is telling um you know as I think before the last couple of weeks Michael Walker play was, was playing 40 50 snaps every game right and now all of a sudden he he isn't out there now before you know last week again like you said uh and I say last week I mean Sunday yeah Troy had a good game his other good game was against San Francisco now if you want to think of any offense that could give a young linebacker all the headaches in the world to deal with, it'd probably be Kyle Shanahan. And he had a solid game, right? But then after that, it was still back to Michael Walker. So that, that, I guess that's kind of my question, not even just in terms of is Michael Walker good or bad. That's not my job or role to say, I'm not, I'm not here to, to do that, but it's more so for the coaching staff in terms of what have you seen or not seen and from Michael Walker to, to make this situation happen. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I, I when you said that I needed, I had to go back and look, cause I, I get these last draft classes like mixed up a lot because I feel like they all sort of happen. And, and I try to, so I think what is it? Mike, Matt Hennessy and Michael Walker, Marlon Davidson, Matt Hennessy, Michael Walker, and Jalen Hawkins were all the final Dan Quinn class. Okay. There was, okay. Gotcha. Um, and I was like, I, I, cause I get those guys mixed up all the time, but yes, yeah, so and yeah. And Hennessy Walker and Hawkins, as a result, I think have one more year under contract on their rookie deals. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I think, yeah. And then this year we got Troy Anderson drafted. So like, and, and right. what you said still applies though. It's like now that he's not their pick. So maybe that's part of it. Like 
they were mm-hmm. they were trying to see what they had in him if he could play the role that they were hoping a guy like maybe they you know sort of a hint that they maybe envisioned more of a Troy Anderson type player in that role Michael Walker seeing if he could fulfill it you know um and I, I think he was okay at it I always thought coming out he was more of that like outside linebacker Sam style player He's more built like that yep. yeah um and he did play a little bit of edge too at Fresno State so it was like I never really got the whole let's make him an off ball, you know, have him run around type of guy. Um, and I don't think that's really his best fit. And I think we saw that this year that he's not the best trying to go up against the run on the outside. I, I do think he plays a lot better in coverage than you would think from like a Sam type player. But, um, you know, I think they've sort of seen like maybe this isn't exactly what we want here. And and with, with the team eliminated from playoff contention, it doesn't surprise me that they'd want to give their young guy more reps. Um, and I know someone mentioned it in the chat, too. Um, D'Angelo Malone is who some a lot of people would like to get more Absolutely. exposure to. And I 100% agree. Um, I've been quite critical of, of Adi Ogundeji. I think he's had a bit of a rebound lately, um, but... Ultimately, I, I think that, that Malone, we need to see. And I, I think he's he's been a, a solid impact guy for a third-round pick. You know, I, I think he needs to get more reps because we need to know, you know, who can we trust in in this edge group going forward. Um, clearly, I think we can trust Lorenzo Carter, and I'd like him to come back. Yeah, but, absolutely. Um, you know, how, can, how much can we rely upon Malone? And I think, you know, what I've seen in the flashes, I like a lot. Um, but... What do you think about Malone and why he's? I know they said it was because they uh, were. It was a lot of run heavy looks and and Ogundeji's sort of their run stopping edge rusher. But you know what? Do you want to see more of Malone? What do you think about why him not necessarily getting a big bump in playing time? No, I mean that that brings up a good point, and I, I just feel like for both of those guys, they have their limitations. We see Ogundeji. Yes, he is a little bit better against the run. He also had the big time field goal block against Justin Tucker, which was, you know, yeah. I got a shout out for that. Yes. Um, but then also for Malone, it's okay. He might be, maybe has his limitations against the run, but it's better against the pass. Uh, my thing is to your point, I think we've seen, at least for now, Ogan Deji enough to know what he is. So might, might as well, if these last two weeks are about quote unquote tryouts, um, why not see more of them? See what you do have in them. Maybe he does surprise you a little bit with how he fits against the run. Um, because let, let's be honest, for the most part in this defense, there aren't many great players that fit against the run. Like, I, I hate to say it, but that's just the truth. So, and, and you look at who they're going against these last two weeks, right? Arizona and uh, Tampa Bay, both two teams that are not very good running the ball. So you might as well put him out there and see what he can offer to the plate. Because, again, you talk about edge edge players. There's only one person that's really shown me something where it's like, okay, going forward, I really like, like, yes, Lorenzo Carter, but outside of him, it's, uh, he's it's sort of a unique eight. guy though. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but no, I think that, um, Arnold Evicati is this guy in terms of, I was watching, I, I tried to watch some of his rushes, uh, very, uh, closely, uh, in the game on Sunday and, you just see there's certain moves and certain combinations that he's putting together already. Now it's not resulting in sacks right away. I'm, I'm okay with that. He's, he's a rookie. That's fine. Uh, if we have to rely on a rookie to, for a very young player to get um, sacks like that, where you're in trouble as a defense, but you see certain combinations and things already, they starting to put together. It's like, okay, no, I think there's going to be something there, but obviously, especially the way, football in the NFL is played now, you need more than just one edge guy that you can really rely on like that to make things happen. So outside of him, yeah, you might as well, if they don't feel comfortable enough seeing what else they have out there, give these other guys some reps in these last two games. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, I agree with you hundred percent. Like when I watched Malone this off season, I was like, this is a guy I think who can be like a third down specialist, you know, he's sort of undersized and all this, but um, I think he's, he's played the run like decently well. He's never going to be a guy that's like, this is the guy you want on the end stacking up guys and, and trying to set the edge. But he's really, we could, we've seen his athleticism, super athletic. I think he's got like four tackles for loss or something. Um, and there was, I think it was against the saints. He had that great tackle for loss where he just flew back there and yeah. just uh, smacked Kamara in the backfield. Um, and I, I love that. And that's a splash play, you know, on a snap per snap basis. I think Malone has been more productive as a tackler, um, as, as a sack guy, um, I think he has to check on the pressure numbers. Yeah, he has, he has more pressures, uh, 
the same number of sacks, more tackles for loss, less overall tackles than um, than Okandeji. Malone's only played 173 snaps. Okandeji has played almost 500. So to me, it's like, okay, we know what we have in Okandeji. I think even against the run, it's like I'd still rather see I'd still rather see Malone just for the opportunity that maybe we get some tackles for loss out of it. Even though I agree, like he's not. This is never a guy that's going to be your primary edge defender against the run. But um, to me, it's just man, like Ogundeji's lack of pass rush just really kills them if it happens to be a pass play while he's out there. No, absolutely. And I think the thing too is if you look at the construction for the majority of this Falcons defense, they're not hanging their hat on big physical guys up front or well anywhere really over the field for the most part i mean i guess you'd say what rashawn evans is like the only quote-unquote thumper that they they have on defense and i mean even aj terrell well he'll stick his head in on the run game but outside of that there is nobody i think that in terms of a physical hit you standpoint that really instills fear in anybody on Falcons defense. I don't say that to say that as a bad thing. They're soft. I'm just saying that's not how this defense is built. They seem to be much more of, you know, much more faster defense, um, split gaps, move on stunts, things like that, especially when you look at the linebacker position. So if that's the case, that's how you're built. Why not put somebody else out there who is also very fast can take gaps and make people miss in space. Then that's how they create those tackles and tackles for loss. I mean, you might as well put it out there. Yeah. No, and I, I think it's part of it is like, I think we're seeing the linebackers that they want. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if Rashawn Evans is back um, and they've got Trey Anderson in place. And I think they've got the the framework of their edge room. They need like one more blue chip guy there. But really like that defensive interior, they need that true nose and they need yes. another big time guy in there. And I, they're missing, and they they tried to do that, right? They tried to get Eddie Goldman in here to be that true nose. That didn't work out because he decided to retire. And then I think they had a decent, complimentary pass rusher to create Jared and Vincent Taylor, who also did not end up playing this year due to a preseason training camp injury. So it's like they did make some signings and try to get this group to a better place. And then they lost a couple guys unexpectedly. The depth is just not possible to be there with, with their financial situation. So I think that's one of the big things that I'd like to see this offseason is just a huge investment on the defensive line to bring that unit up to par with where it needs to be. And I think a lot of the secondary is getting criticism, but to me, it's like, I think honestly, the pieces they have in the secondary are good enough. Um, I, I mean, we'd all like to see a, maybe a, like a high end safety come in like a Jesse Bates perhaps. Um, and like, I would never say no to another good corner, but it's just like, they need that. Yeah. It, they, they, need it. they do. So it's like AJ Terrell's great. And Casey Hayward's going to be coming back, but Casey Hayward's getting older. Um, yes. Isaiah Oliver hasn't been as, as good as hoped. You know, Darren Hall just got benched for giving up one play, um, which maybe that wasn't the best idea in the world, but, you know, whatever. Um, it's, a, it's a tough spot there in the secondary, but I think they're all being made to look a lot worse because of the lack of pass rush and the defensive line just not being where it needs to be. Um, so hopefully, like, I know people are like, oh, well, you know, Richie Grant hasn't been great and Jalen Hawkins hasn't been great and, you know, these other corners. It's like, well, uh, you know, if they had a little bit more pass rush... I think they would probably look better. Maybe not great, but better. So, no, I mean that it's a good point, and I mean I I could also make the counterpoint. The the when I was coming up, you know, through football, it, we always talk about how rush and coverage have to be married, and that means you know if you have good coverage, it means you have good pass rush. Good pass rush also gets helped out by good coverage, and right now the unfortunate reality is the Falcons really don't have either, and I'm saying that in terms of a unit. Like you said, AJ Terrell is is really is really good. I mean, you know, I, I don't have anything about him. You know, we've seen Cornell Armstrong out there now for how many how many weeks? Um, and no disrespect to him, he, he's playing hard. He's made a couple big plays. Obviously, there's a big, uh, I think, fourth down stop in Cincinnati that he had. He's had a couple other PBUs. But if I'm a defense, and I see AJ Terrell is on one side for the most part. I mean, we saw there was a big uh, play by Mark Andrews. Uh, when he was over there. But for the most part, yeah, I'm not going to test AJ Terrell. I'm going to go to the other side. Yeah. So they still need that other guy over there. Uh, the Falcons, again, who knows how Hawkins and Grant will turn out. But I think that in terms of safety play, they've missed way too many tackles. Yep. Uh, again, you you just wonder, we talked about a little bit earlier in terms of thumpers, and I don't need my safeties to be heavy hitters. Again, it's not the early 2000s anymore where you can just 
you know, every big hit that happens in the middle of the field is, is not targeting, yeah. but you do need someone there where hey, it's time to come up, make a play, make a tackle. You can trust and expect that they're going to make that happen. And, and the receivers or whomever come and feel you or the running backs coming up on that second level, they feel you. And I, from when I, when I watch the Falcons play, that's just not the case right now. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think that there needs to be a long, hard look at a lot of these players. Uh, and there's, there's a lot of cap space and probably some pretty good draft picks to go around, but uh, yeah. it has to be used correctly because we still have a lot of holes to fill. Even It's not like, oh, this is a good team and we've got all these resources so we can just go, you know, just spray this cap around and, and go crazy and throw money. You know, like you have to be smart. And I, I do think that they will based on what we've seen from this front office so far is that I know people are expecting like a bunch of flat, like big splash signings. I think we'll see some, like one or two probably, but the rest of it, I think they're probably going to be diligent about Previously, we could afford to bring in like seven guys at like two to three million. Now we can afford to bring in seven guys at five to six million and just really upgrade our middle of our roster with a lot of these role players that are going to be high end role players, not necessarily stars, but it's going to really flesh out our ability to play against specialized opponents. Like against the Ravens, it would have been great if they had a specialized like three, four defensive end that's like a great run stopper to throw in there. You know, or like a like an extra, like a, a more run heavy safety they could rotate in to help bolster this stuff. And you're not getting any pro bowlers for you know five to seven million usually. Sometimes you get a little lucky there, but you can get some very good role players, and that's what they're really missing right now is that middle sort of of the roster. And then they need just a couple blue chip guys, and we could be looking at a very different defense and you know offense too. Um, next season, so that that's my hope, and we're we're holding on to hope here with the Falcons <laughs> sitting at five and ten. So, <laughs> well, I think for the most part, though, and to your point, when we came into this year, uh, I I don't know how many Falcons fans came into the season thinking that it would be you know week sixteen, week seventeen, where we're finally knocked out of the playoff and division race. You know, before it was well, everyone knew how much cap space or approximately how much cap space that um, they would have going into next year. So it's, okay, let's see what we have to build with. What do we have to work with? So that way, when year three of this regime with Terry and Arthur, are they in a good position to really start competing and try to make things happen? And when I say competing, I'm not saying Super Bowl. I'm saying, you know, playoff pushes, NFC South pushes, things like that. Um, And so that, you know, it's kind of back where we are now. And this is why I think we're having this conversation. It's, well, they're knocked out of the playoffs, like officially, so let's talk about what is there, what isn't there. And, you know, I think some people are talking about, uh, I think Dave, you made this one comment in the in the uh, YouTube uh, comment section. Uh, shout out Dave, because he's, he's putting a lot of good points in there. Uh, it's all about Deron Payne. I'm a big fan of Deron Payne. I'm a big fan of the Falcons trying to go get him. And the reason why I say that is because, well, the re- one thing he was saying is he's not the traditional nose guard, so they'd have to switch up. The Falcons would have to switch up things they do on defense. My question then is, what is that traditional nose guard that they already have? Right. They and don't have one. They, they cut exactly. Anthony Rush, who is the one they have. Right. Exactly. So they already have to do some changing and, and switching things around to make things work. I mean, it, it can't happen. And plus, I think the good sign of a good coach, which I think his track record for DMPs has shown, you don't bring players in and just make them fit to what you want to do. You also have to it's, – it's a mix. Yes, you want certain players that you, that fit your system, but also for some of the players that come in, you have to switch up what you do a bit to make that work for them too. And Deron Payne, obviously, as talented as he is, he's one of those guys that if you bring him in, you find a way to make that work. With 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 Payne and Grady Jarrett inside, you find a way to make that work. There's there's no excuse to not make it work, in my opinion. Yeah, no, and I I think people get a little too a little too invested in like, Oh, in a three, four, you play, you know, a nose tackle, right. and you know, this and this. it's like, no, I, I mean, why can't you play a one and two threes or a one, a three and a five or whatever? Like you can, you can play a zero and two threes. You can get some bear fronts going. I mean, like it, there's plenty of ways where you could get Grady Jarrett, Deron Payne and a traditional nose tackle on the field at the same time. It's not that difficult. Like you, it, it, you, mm-hmm. these teams are not getting, I don't think these guys are going to be rigid with how they line up the front. I think they're going to just try to get their good players out there however they can. And, 
you know, we're seeing that with like a guy like Timmy Horn, who was a college nose tackle. He's been playing a lot of three, four defensive end, you know, so it really just get the guys out there, like get the good players. We'll figure out how to use them. Like it, it, you know, I think that's a good strategy to have and not be overly reliant on a certain scheme or system. And I think that's one of the criticisms that Dan Quinn had while he was here is that we were going to rush four and we were going to, you know, play cover three on the back end. And that was, that's what we do. Um, And even if the players, you know, and John Kaminsky is an unfortunate casualty of this, right? Like, he didn't really fit that three. He didn't fit the four three um, very well, and they sort of tried to make him an edge, and they tried to make him this and that. When really, this guy is probably just a three four defensive end, like what he played in college. Goes to the Lions and looks great, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So, it, um, I think being too rigid is is uh, is something that can hold you back. And I, I do like, you know, Arthur Smith on offense too is the same way. Like they've really, I think, been creative about how they deployed some of these guys. So I think they deserve well, some props for that. Yeah. No, absolutely. And that's the thing. So when I was at Stanford, we were a three, four base defense, which for the most part, like my older years, like, yeah, when we, when I was young, we had, you know, your typical nose guard, stout fire hydrant kind of guy. And then you build off of that, but that's not always the case. And also there's different types. It's not just, you put somebody over the nose, you put somebody as a four eye on the tackle, put somebody in four on a tackle. No, there's so many different looks with it. And then also there's certain movements and different stunts and games you can run within that three, four as well. So it's just a matter of with who you have, find out what the strengths are, how you make it work. Cause it can work. You don't have to have a traditional, you know, all your guys up front in the three, four, your 300 pound, uh, you know, six, two, six, three kind of guys, you can make a three, four work without that. And like I said, when you have guys as talented, with a building block up front with Grady Jarrett and potentially Deron Payne, you can find ways to make it work. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But yeah, we're, we're up to an hour here, guys. So we're going to go ahead and wrap things up. I did want to get to Jason Gaines uh, question from earlier. I think I, yeah. I, my thing loaded, it popped up and it says it's over an hour old. So I apologize, Jason. Uh, with the $2, he says, I, I just want to say, I hope that uh, that referee and crew led by Bill Vinovich and his entire crew got that lump of coal in their stocking for Christmas yesterday. <laughs> that intentional grounding call was awful. Also, yeah. I hope that Arthur Smith does not have a heart attack while arguing bad calls. Hashtag high blood pressure. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, I don't, I, I also would probably do that if I was in Arthur Smith's shoes. But, you know, please stay healthy, Arthur. We, we need you out there, bud. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Jordan, anything else you want to uh, touch on before we sign off? Yeah, I mean, I guess, like, obviously there are a lot of terrible, terrible calls, in my opinion, in this game you know, by the officiating. You know, talk about the the, the rough in the – I mean, not rough, that's intentional grounding. There's another one that got a touchdown pulled away from us. Even the one that the Ravens got uh, in the end zone, they had a touchdown pass in, in one of the on one of the sidelines. It wasn't even the fact that it, it stood t- – they confirmed it. Yeah. There was nothing that I saw – on any of those replays that said, yes, this is confirmed a touchdown. Even if they would have said call stands, all right, cool, I get it. My question now, and, and here's the thing, you talk about how we you said earlier about how Arthur Smith has been um he's made the most of for the most part of what he can with you know the offensive uh offensive capabilities, which is true, but there are also times where I've been concerned in those gotta have it situations. Yeah. Right. Um, like, for example, this is a game. It's cold. The wind was blowing. Anyone that's told anyone that's been in a cold weather game before, they'll let you know. The biggest things that matter in those situations, take points when you can change field position. Those are two biggest things. Uh, but also when you do have a chance to take advantage of points, you, you got to go for it. Yeah. Uh, there was one fourth down. The Falcons went in the middle of the field. I think it was a deep ball to Demir Bird. Didn't agree with it because, again, you change field position in that situation when you can. Um, also, the uh, the play calling down when they had the uh, goal to go situation. Uh, so third down, they took Tyler Algier off the field, bringing Cordero Patterson. Now, obviously, as we know, we love Cordero. He is one of the kings of the angry runs, yes. right? Like you give him the ball, boom, he's going to run through people and and find a way to make it happen. That wasn't really the case on on uh, Saturday. Uh, yeah. You know, they the, the Ravens did a good job of keeping him in check. So the thing for me was, when my defense, the way I think was, well, Tyler Algier's not in. This is going to be a pass play. And it was. Now, obviously, Desmond Ritter got close to to running it in, but didn't. But then they bring Tyler Algier back in. So if I'm a defensive player, it's like, wait, 25's back in the game. He's getting this ball. This is a run play. 
So I just felt like it was it was one of those situations where the 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 coaching and the scheme it kind of put the offense in a in a disadvantage. Um, and that's not it's not the first time that we've seen it. So that that overall, don't get me wrong, I, I don't want to make this seem like I'm just completely against Arthur Smith because I'm not. All I know is what I'm saying is there have been a certain some situations in certain games now where even when he does get better talent, which I think we all think and hope is is coming along the way. Do you change up some of the decision making that you've made in big situations to make it work still? Like the last thing I want to do, I think he kind of has a quote unquote scapegoat from a lot of people where it's the roster's not there, talent's not there, yada yada, but we've still been close, which is true. But a lot of those games too, where they've been close, it's well, if you make this different decision or that different decision, how does this go? Um, yep. So that that was one of the takeaways I had from that game too. Yeah, and I think the hope for everyone is that Arthur Smith also takes this off season and, and evaluates what he's done and the decisions that he's made and, and makes some different ones going forward. And ultimately, deep down, you're not going to change fundamentally what you do, but right. um, I'm hopeful that that he will continue to do that because I think we've seen generally him make really good decisions in the red zone throughout his career in the NFL and, and really scheme up some good stuff. And I do wonder if he's pressing a little bit now and really trying to reach into like a deep bag of tricks to try to overcome some of these personnel problems. When I think really like you, you probably could just run it, just run your offense and you probably have a better chance of it then. But I, I do wonder if part of it is like he knows like how strapped they are for talent, especially in the passing game right now. And, you know, he, he doesn't, they don't trust the defense, even though the defense is doing a decent job. So it's, it's like, let's, let's dive into our bag of tricks and really try to pull out some, some fancy plays when it's like, maybe you should just run Tyler Algier four times, you know, like, and, oh, and yeah. uh, <laughs> maybe you should, but um, that's my hope is that, that he will also look inward as, as well as looking outward to fix the roster. So. No, same here. I, I, I ultimately, my, my goal and my dream, I want Arthur Smith to be a full on bully. Like, I, I, I really do. And here's what I mean by that. The Falcons, and obviously I think everyone's probably hearing me say that. It's like, what do you mean? We have one of the best running attacks in the game or whatnot. It's like, yes, we absolutely do. But there's also been a lot of situations where they could have used it even more. Now, I want him to have that mindset. And he he's, he's right, in, in my opinion, just watching the games. He's right there. I want him to have that mindset of, you know, it doesn't matter. We're going to run the ball. You can't stop it. So, I mean, we've seen it before. I, I call them the, I call it the impose your will drives. Saw one against Cleveland, right? Yep. 17, was it 17 straight run plays? Good luck stopping it. Boom, touchdown. Uh, you saw it in New Orleans last weekend. Uh, Tyler Algier just pretty much took the team down the field himself, you know, along with help of, of some good blocking and made it work. So it's there. It is there. Go ahead and just lean on it, lie on it, trust it. And 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 just go with it. That that's what I want to see because I think there's so many times where they do it, and then when they really need to do it, they kind of shy away from it. Yeah, just lean lean all the way in, and then when it's time for the when it when it, we're in the moment where the passing game can also somewhat complement it, which again I thought last week we kind of saw it a little bit in the middle of the field. You really have something dangerous to deal with. Yeah, yeah, and I'm excited about how this team will look next season um with these investments and with hopefully a more well-rounded roster because i they've been really close like i mean if, if this team had the vikings luck in one score games they'd be running away with the <laughs> nfc south i mean it would be yeah. it would be hilarious um and it's just they they regressed to the you know they regressed back to the mean in these one score games you know they were excellent in them last year this year they've been sort of mediocre so it's it is what it is it's difficult but they've been close and i think with any team that's playing as many close games as they are, the opportunity for a bounce back is there. And especially if this team finishes fourth in the division, which it seems like pretty likely that it's going to happen now, you get that fourth place schedule again. And we all know every single year, there's at least one worst to first team. And I think the Falcons yeah. next year will be an extremely trendy worst to first pick. And I think that would be, it's going to be justified because they're probably going to hopefully sign some great players, uh, draft some great players and, and be able to get, you know, this thing going in the right direction from all sides, not just like, Oh, I like that. They've been able to do this and that with limited resources. It's like, no, now the resources are actually here. We're using them correctly and responsibly and getting a good product on the field. So it all has to come together, but I think they're, they're set up well to make that 
that transition this offseason. And who knows how the rest of the division is going to look. I mean, yeah. you look at some other teams and other divisions who are going to be in last place. So whether it's, you know, like NFC West, I guess it would be what the Cardinals, the 49ers are still going to be good. You look in the NFC North, I think their last place team right now is what probably Chicago. Well, yeah. they still have a, a, a hump to go over because I'm willing to bet. I mean, and now Chicago, they're going to be interesting to look at because they're also a team like the Falcons that's going to have all this cap space to build with and build on. So we'll see if they give, you know, some help around uh, Justin Fields in that regard. But I don't think Minnesota is really going to go anywhere. Like they'll probably lose more games next year than they will this year because we talked about that one re- the one uh, possession record. Um, and then, of course, you look at the NFC East, and I'm just going to NFC. I'm not going to go to the AFC and bore people out. But, you know, the Cowboys are still going to be a good team. The Eagles are still going to be a good team. So I wouldn't look at any team that's in last place there that will turn things around, even though I know all the teams over there have a pretty good record right now. So, yeah, it's who has the weakest first place team right now in the NFC. And that's obviously NFC South. So, yeah, why not the Falcons turn that around and be a trendy worst to first pick? Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that they do it, certainly. But we got we got a couple more games. Got a couple more games this season before we get there, and we're going to break those down for you guys over the coming weeks and before we dive full on into this offseason because it's going to be a fun one. Um, no matter what happens on the field, the off the off season is always calling with hope, and I think this is a particularly hopeful, fun one for this team. So uh, first off, guys, thanks for listening. Thanks. Uh, please give us a like and subscribe on YouTube if you are so inclined. We appreciate that. helps us out. If you're listening to the podcast, leave us a five-star review if you enjoyed the show. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, guys, uh, we will get this stuff uh, going this week. We'll be back on Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern for the next Falcoholic Live. Before we take off, I want to thank Jordan Watkins at Big75 fellow on the Twitters for helping me out today. Jordan, anything you'd like to plug? Uh, not really anything to plug. I just want to hopefully wish everyone's having a wonderful holiday season. Uh, I know we, we just had Christmas. I think it was the last day of Hanukkah. Kwanzaa's going on. And of course we'll go into uh new year's day next Sunday. So also here's a hoping that when we have new year's, let's start 2023 with the Falcons having an undefeated record. I mean, that would be nice, right? Yeah. Yeah. That, That would be great. So no, I hope everyone's having a wonderful holiday season. Get to spend time with your loved ones. I hope Santa was on point for you this year. If you believe in in, leaving them and no, all that, that that's, that's what I want to plug. Absolutely. Yep. And, and hope I'm hopeful as well. I do think they're going to win this Cardinals game. So all this talk, of you know, Oh, second, third (laughs) overall pick. Maybe it's like, yeah, I don't really think so, but you know, who knows with this team, but yeah, that Cardinals team is a whole mess. So yes. <laughs> and I always yeah, say the best thing to help a rebuild um, get faster is you win games. Have yeah, have the people in that locker room believe that no, they're good enough to make these things happen instead of well, not just believe. I think they believe it already, yeah. but have some results to go along with those beliefs. Yeah, that I think would help. that that is the biggest thing. Yeah, always finishing strong is always better than going in on a big slump. Yes, no, no matter what. So, yes. um. Guys, thank you so much for listening. I'm Kevin Knight at Falcoholic Kevin. Uh, you can follow me there and see all my stuff on thefalcoholic.com. Until next time, folks, we will see you on Wednesday on the Falcoholic Live. Have a great day, guys. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.